0: Welcome to Family Features, a podcast for anyone who wants to experience healthy relationships within their family. This is Dr. Corey Gilbert, and I'm honored to come alongside you to encourage, educate, and equip you as we focus on the different relationships that make us family. Let's get started and focus on today's feature. Welcome to the Family Features podcast. My name is Dr. Corey Gilbert, and today I have the honor to interview Dr. Michael Jaquith. How, how do you say your last name? Jaquith. It's a top Jake with. one. With. I did it again, Jake with yes. And it's a different kind of doctor, which is actually kind of cool. So looking forward to this conversation today, and to see what journey he's been on in life and what he does today. So uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself.
1: Absolutely. First off, thank you so much for having me here. It's a delight to be speaking to you. I'm glad to offer a little bit of perspective to audience. So let me give you some context here. I was born and raised in Northern Michigan, kind of a broken family, but that may come up later on. And I worked my way up all the way through graduate school. I graduated from Cornell in 2008 with a PhD in chemistry. Wow. And so it was, uh, you know, yes, it was a lot. But then I go <laughs> off. I worked for a Semiconductor Research, did that for almost ten years. Really loved it. Thrived in the environment. Mm-hmm. And then God reached down, whacked upside the head with two by four, and said, "You're going entrepreneurial." Couple different bumps, and surprisingly, against all odds, given that starting point, I am now a full time life coach, and I love it.
0: That's amazing. And you even moved your family, and you're living
1: kind of living the life basically. So I'm married to Ooh. a saint in process. You'd have to be to put up with me. Uh, we have <laughs> six children Whoa. and we live up in Northern Idaho panhandle at the time recording here. It's end of March. We still have two feet of snow out of my window right now in a few spots.
0: Oh, I love that. Love that. Love that. That's neat. So then you went from chemist to life coach. That is a very different world.
1: Um... It is. And it isn't. So, the key skills I think that were helpful mm-hmm. for me as a chemist were the ability to really build complex models, try to mm-hmm. understand how do these different interactions occur. Like a lot of my graduate research was on or semiconducting on organic. Charge crystals and like looking at where the charges get stuck. And what's so funny about that is that's not that different than the work I do now with human beings. As you watch this huge complex neural system in the human being and where do the ideas and thoughts get stuck as they move through. And as many people pointed out, like, if you want to study something complex, I'm looking right now, not the computer screen of course, but you are the most complex object we know in the universe my wife would agree. <laughs> yes, that's so true. And
0: that's neat to see the connection there. Cause I would not have made that connection from chemists to being able to see people that way and then apply that. That's a really beautiful you know, connection. And then what God's done in your life to lead you to be a life coach. And you work primarily with men. Is that correct?
1: Correct. So my, both my wife and I are life coaches and Whenever we try to engage with another person, their story in their head, there's always a tremendous number of barriers because Mm -hmm. words to me mean something different than words to you. And the fewer barriers you have, the more quickly you can reach that connection that allows real communication in place. And so I work with men, my wife works with women. The reason why is because that removes some of those barriers. Nice. That's wonderful.
0: And then, so speaking of men, what do you see as kind of the biggest struggle that you hear? And with the men that you work with?
1: I think right now, in general, men have a lot of really troubling ideas that evolve around who am I and what am I worth? And these are really subtle challenges in us. But I have a tremendous number of clients that are suffering with addiction to pornography and they want to break free. They understand that pornography is an evil in their life. But the problem is they think that just the brute force method of, I'm going to try harder, will allow them to escape what is one of the most addictive things that we know of. But the reality is going in and doing that digging, whatever your challenge is, understanding how does my view of myself disagree with the view of God who made me? And in that tension lies something I'm trying to cope with, to cover up, to deal with, whatever, alcohol, whatever the distraction of choice is. Yeah,
0: It's amazing how looking at it from a different lens, actually, we find the answers, it's, it really is it's looking at we look at the problem like pornography or, or alcohol or something and we see it that's the problem but it's not it's an right. internal internal battle of self that identity which is that's, that's fascinating to see um with these men have do you see mostly married or single is it kind of in a mixture
1: it's been a mixture um i think I'll put it this way whether it's identity, like I, I've had a number of clients who deal with, let's say, um, they're very strong type B personalities and they're not able to necessarily say no to people. Another common theme that comes up. And that I see so often, whatever your problem is, people think this will get solved when I get married. Yes. Right? Yep. Classic blunder. Like, yep. no, <laughs> whatever stuff you bring with you into marriage is still there in the marriage. To to people's stuff. Right, exactly, it totally does. Because now, not only does it drive you nuts, but it drives your spouse nuts. Yeah. And so I, there's a lot of, I, I, I give thanks to God for those clients of mine who are married and I've decided I'm going to clean up so I can finally love my spouse better. And I give thanks to God for those clients who aren't married yet, who are saying, I want to clean up before I get married yep. to better be able to <laughs> love her from the
0: start. It's the same way I feel, yes, so true. And what's sad is there's so many men that even would listen to this that hear it, they know they're struggling and they know it's a no. They know they should not be doing what they're doing, but they don't want help. They're, the relationship they have with their, their their issue, alcohol, drugs, pornography, that relationship with that is actually stronger than the need or the desire to get better or to grow or to be the man that they know that
1: they could be. I think so often it's an issue of lack of hope. Mm-hmm. And the potency of the lie of the devil yep. is that we can't change that we're stuck here. The accused of the so- brethren stands before the throne. And he stands before us and the accusation, the accusation, accusation, and it's utterly crushing when we start to believe it. And the beauty, not the beauty, I say the, the devilishness of these lies is they're yeah. always based in a seed of truth. Like there is a seed of truth that you yep. on your own aren't sufficient to escape it. And this is actually, you know, when we mentioned earlier combining life coaching and chemistry. And this is actually where I think it's bringing the third piece, which is the pace of the faith. Yes. And when I start with the premise, which is I'm not enough to escape my addiction, whether it's say to video games or whatever, mm-hmm. there's truth in that. I'm not strong enough, yeah. but I know the guy who is, and he died on the cross for me. And that's where that peace that can come in and really start to make a change in people's lives and their hearts and their minds.
0: And the thing is, is that seems so, uh, what think, what's even the word? Like it, we, we believe we're supposed to be self-sufficient. Yes. So the, the dependence and the, the admitting of that is such a huge hurdle that I can't do it because we've been told that we're supposed to suck it up. We're supposed to, you know, be the man even and all these things that I should have the willpower to stop it. If I want to, or the men that say, Oh, I can stop whenever I want. It's like, yeah, (laughs) let's try that. Try
1: that. Try that. See how that works out. (laughs) And that's where you come in. But I think one of the most powerful things is to start with the biology of it. Mm -hmm. Like if we ever want to acknowledge the extent of how broken we are without God, Mm -hmm. we start by looking at the damage we've done to ourselves. And you look at it from a neurological perspective, Mm -hmm. the addictive power of say pornography, because that's just such a big one, is much greater than that of cocaine. The way that your brain responds to the dopamine hit, the way that it then creates those loops inside your own head. Like it's not an exaggeration to say that you're not strong enough on your own to get out of it. And the idea that you are is, is just utter silliness. And as you understand that biology and understand how strong that compulsion can become, like I can no more kick off and fly out this window and start flying. Right. than I could choose to adjust that level of compulsion if I try it solely under my own power. Yeah. And it's amazing to see
0: there's multiple States across the country that have actually deemed so secular worldview, even that pornography is a a health issue in the culture. That's amazing to see that. It's sad to see how many others don't don't kind of jump on board that and see the damage that pornography does because the data shows, we know, we've done the research. There is no question exactly what you said, that it is more damaging than even some pretty powerful drugs. So yeah, good luck just
1: walking away. One of the things that I've had clients before that while well, they do espouse the faith, they're like, I just don't think it's that big of a deal, really. Right. And so one great website for anyone who who is thinking that direction is fightthenewdrug.com. Mm-hmm. And they take on the issue of pornography with zero components of the faith and just using the sign show how destructive it is. But here's a great piece that I sometimes give people. When I, as a man, look at a hammer, imagine I'm holding up a nice manly hammer right here, right? The part of my brain that lights up identifies, oh, here's a tool, I'm gonna use it like a tool. When I look at a person, say right now, I'm looking at your face, Mm -hmm. part of my brain, much more extensive lights up saying relationship. Mm -hmm. But when I'm addicted to pornography and I walk up to a beautiful woman, I look at her, I don't have relationship light up. I have tool light up. And if you just let that sink in for a second, what that means, how on the earth are you going to have a loving relationship with the woman of your dreams when your brain looks at her and sees hammer? Yep. That's such such a great.
0: Oh gosh. That's such a great picture. I love that so much. That is so true. In, we again see this in the data. The data shows that the more you consume for pornography, you actually see them not only as a tool, but something to be consumed. Yes. Which is horrifying. I mean, women should be stinking mad about this. It breaks my heart how even so many women I know actually are complicit. They're just kind of like, oh, it's no big deal. It's part of culture. All boys do that even moms sometimes. And it's like, no, this is toxic because God made nudity to be a beautiful thing in the right context. And -hmm. when it becomes consume, 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 and I can change the size and the look. And one of my clients one time pointed out, if you really look at pornography and he's like, obviously don't do this, but if you watch, he goes, it's void of intimacy. Yes. Just like you said, it's not relationship. It's taking it's for myself. It's the debase version of ourselves.
1: Yeah. No, this leads to a whole separate second cycle that happens in our brains. Mm-hmm. And it's super important to learn to watch, which is what I call the shame cycle. Mm-hmm. And this can happen either. I, I see this commonly with Christian wives who are upset about this and they just start laying the shame on their husbands, or even it could be the, the man himself laying yeah. his own shame cycle up there. Mm-hmm. And what's so utterly toxic about this, there's twofold. Number one, the shame cycle always leads to more of the behavior that you don't want. But number two, it's in effect, a rejection of God's love and God's mercy. And I I think that second line is really the one that I want to invite people to consider. It's in effect saying, I know better than God, what God's able to forgive. And if you want to jam up your brain and block the healing grace that God wants to give you, Mm -hmm. start with that presumption. It's a great one to jam that up.
0: Yeah, one of my trauma classes, I talk about the echo of praise and how I'm yes. meant to reverberate back and forth between me and someone else. And and there's an energy with that. And it breaks that when I'm basically self-sufficient or act like I am. And there's there's a loss there. We're meant to. And we've seen that with even the last couple of years, how many people have been lost kind of in the, the shuffle of a lack of connection totally. with people that we need one another.
1: Tim Keller is one of my favorite people to listen to, and he's a Protestant minister in York, and he has a big mega church there, but he has the best imagery when he talks about various biblical principles. Mm-hmm. And the one that comes to mind is he talks about the divine dance and how mm-hmm. you have like this intricate dance of the father, the son of the Holy spirit through all of time. And that each of us is invited into the dance. Mm-hmm. It's a dynamic dance of giving of myself, of, you know, of engaging of myself with them. And I love that imagery so much because that is, the exact opposite of everything that we get trapped in the world. And what we get trapped in the world, there is no dance. There is no giving of self, whether it's pornography, substances, loneliness, all of it, it's all, there is no other. It is only me. And the image of that dance just, it's so inspiring. I
0: love that too. And it's interesting because he wrote that book, Meaning of Marriage, Mm -hmm. primarily because his church is mostly single. Right. And he was basically saying, guys, men, women, stand up you're meant to actually make permanent connections not hookup culture you're make meant to we've we've lost the sacredness of marriage which that breaks my heart when I look at my own students and it's like you you see marriage as something that might happen one day if I decide to settle down because you're living in the hookup culture world and you see you've you've lost the hope of, a successful long marriage. You don't have good examples in your own family. Oftentimes there's so much brokenness there that plays out. Um, and, and that's, that's heartbreaking because that doesn't lead to a, um, the life that they want or could have. And marriage is something, again, back to that word sacred to me, we've lost the value of what that should be and where it should be put. And I agree with singles. because I was single to my late twenties where it's, we almost put marriage on a pedestal. That your life is, your life begins once you're married. And like, that's not true either. And we can see the examples in scripture of those that were single and served and um, so many others throughout history. So that's not the end all.
1: I think a lot of stuff with marriage comes from what we think about marriage as Mm -hmm. an institution. I think in a lot of ways, the conservative types made a mistake by even allowing a term like gay marriage to exist, because it, what that really does is it undermines the definition of what is marriage. Yes. And it starts to introduce this idea that marriage is one of two things. It's either this impossibly painful thing that can never work, which is what a lot of people view it as, right. or it's something purely for my own benefit to bring me pleasure and companionship, because that's just it makes me feel better. And both those two are horrible definitions. And and we see the culture reacting to those two ones. When you consider the first definition, you say, I'm going to be single forever. Who wants that? And the second definition is just as toxic. If you go into a marriage thinking it's all about you, good luck. It will not stay that way for long. And if we pull it back to the definition of Christendom from all time, the permanence of marriage is one of the good values. It's one of the fruits that comes from (laughs) it. But it's not because it's permanently feeling great to be me, but it's permanently getting me ready for heaven as that marriage dance reveals to me my own flaws and what is oftentimes a very painful way. Like my wife and I've had conversations because she sees intimately into parts of me that are flawed. And she's like, Hey, Michael, I uh, see that part with you. You might want to check that part out. eh?" I'm like, Ooh, uh, yes. Thank you, honey. I really enjoyed having you point that out. (laughs) I know. So true. But the value there, when we look at this from a Christocentric perspective, is that it does bring us closer to that state of heaven. And that is both here and there a far greater value than either two distorted views I started with. Mm
0: -hmm. And Gary Thomas in his book, Sacred Marriage, does a good job of painting that picture of you. We all got into marriage because we saw someone that could make us happy. Yes. And then you get married and go, oh, wait. It's about now me serving them for the rest of my life, no matter what. Last night I had a student in my class actually ask, so I just don't understand why we don't test drive the car before we get married. That makes no sense. Well, what do we just, what if we don't, what if we just don't like sex with each other? It's like, it's so about that for, for a lot of this, you know, 20 year old culture. And it's like, that's not it. Yeah. You get married and let's say you never could. It's not about that or that it's not great. Like you, think it is you need to stop watching the movies you're watching it's probably the problem or consuming the porn you're consuming
1: or tell them it's there's going to be phases where it isn't great right i don't care if you found the port like the most perfect person your test yeah. drive comes back and says it's amazing yep. when you get married and go into the grinder that is the human yep. formation process yep. when your wife points out to you here's a really yucky part about you that you need to work on yeah you're not going to want to have sex with her and it's not going to be fun and exciting. Right. And that is a phase. Like it's, it is a job. Actually I heard once said the devil does everything in his power to persuade us to have sex before our marriage and persuade us not to have sex after marriage. Love it. Yes. So true. Yeah.
0: And it's amazing because it's like the conversation we had last night in class was exactly that. It's like, it doesn't make sense. Why, why shouldn't we just be able to kind of do what we want and then eventually settle down? It's like, I basically adamantly said, you're either a believer or not. And that's scary to think about. Am I going to follow Christ or do I act like I have a fire insurance card in my back pocket? I'm a Christ follower, but I'll do whatever I want. My actions right. will show the truth of my, my commitment to him. And I think people don't like that. Like you said about like gay marriage, um, it doesn't exist. Exactly. Marriage is between a man and a woman. When two people that are of same gender, that come together for a celebration, it's just a big party. Nothing is sealed in heaven. It may be sealed on paper on earth in in a courthouse, but nothing is sealed in heaven.
1: If I look at marriage as one person giving themselves so totally to the other Mm -hmm. and the other giving themselves so totally to the first that God reaches down and blesses that with new life. There's just no way that so-called gay marriage could even fit that criteria. Correct. Just not physically not possible. Correct. But the other thing I, I like to bring up is what I call the metaphysics sometimes of marriage and sexuality. Mm-hmm. And as my chemistry background, right? If I were to mix a certain amount of sodium hydroxide with hydrochloric acid, there's a reaction that happens, right? And it'd be like, well, I'm going to pretend like maybe a reaction won't happen because I don't want it to happen yet. But the reality <laughs> is, the metaphysics of, of having sex before marriage is that you pay that price later on in your marriage. And my wife and I are very open when we talk to, especially there's a number of teenagers at our church that we kind of are mentors for. Mm -hmm. And we will be very blunt and say, look, we had sex with other people before marriage. We both are adult converts. We had sex with other before marriage. And here's what it does. It means that now that connection is forever damaged. Now, by the grace of God, healing can still come, of course. But there is a great deal of pain and suffering that will be present when you commit to yourself to another person because your body no longer knows how to even make that connection mean that thing. Right. And so it's like the base and the acid are mixed, man. Like you've got salt and water. Now you don't have either one anymore. And because of that, because my body has been taught that sexuality and sexual ex- intercourse is not about deep, meaningful connection. I'm going to go to my wife, my body's going to do what it knows best, what I've trained it to do. Yeah. And then she's going to say, Ooh, I'm not being connected in the way that I want to be connected here. I want to have a full, complete, intimate union. And this is just metaphysics, right? Mm -hmm. And that's gonna build up and there's gonna be a reckoning one way or another. Mm -hmm. That's a
0: great picture. Another one that I see of, so sex before marriage and then now you're married, one of the biggest, I would say, places where things fall apart is trust. Yes. Is if you can't follow some set of rules. if you're saying you're a Christian and you're saying that you follow these values, but then you violate those, as in, I take you and you're not mine prior to marriage. What's going to say that you're not going to do that with someone else now after after we're married? And there's this, there's this little bit of something like growing in the background that just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, depending on the relationship, that now my trust level, I don't trust you or I doubt you all the time. And I, I'm almost even cynical that starts growing when there isn't this, no, we st- stood strong and we actually saved that to after the wedding there's a reason for the order and that one of the things we've done is we divorced the fact that babies come from sex so sex is something you just enjoy and have fun and if there accidentally is something we can take care of it which is disgusting and it's murder Um, but that divorcing means that we can just play around when you put them together it means every time a man and a woman comes together it is meant to make a baby Thank goodness it doesn't, but it's meant to. And when you look, when you put those back together, it actually changes your whole view of every time a teenager or unmarried person has sex. If they believed what the design is, you're saying you're okay. If the result is a baby, right? Which they're not because they're like, Oh, I got the after morning, morning after pill, or I've got these alternatives. Right. That's heartbreaking that our culture has done such a good job of convincing like here in Oregon during this, this pandemic insanity, there was even instructions from the, the health department on how to have sex and key and be safe. And it was basically backwards and anal sex and all this disgusting perverted stuff. And then they scratch their head and wonder why the STD rates are going up. Yeah, it's Like, do you guys like not have a brain? Cause you do, you're smart people but it's, I want my cake and eat it too. Don't tell me about the consequences. Just let me think of the moment. And think of these men that, I mean, we both serve. It's, it's heartbreaking men and women, how many times they're so stuck, stuck in themselves. Right. Cause the truth is we're so self-centered. I can't make a relationship work.
1: I, I want to pull back, okay. I want to yeah, pull right. something back and you said there and use this as kind of an interesting tie-in. You talked yeah. about trust. Mm-hmm. And I think what's so interesting about trust is a lot of people have this notion that I should be able to trust somebody because they do everything that's honorable and perfect. Right. <laughs> and of course, everyone's a human being. Right. and. The reality is like, let's just talk about blunt realities. I'm a married man who's trying his hardest to be faithful to his wife. We live in a town that has a beach nearby. In the summertime, when the girls walk by wearing dental floss for bathing suits, my eye makes the first look, okay? That's yep. biology. Yep. In a similar way, women will have a certain emotional resonance with a man who they feel like listens to them. Now, if my wife has the thought in her head that I can't trust my husband, there is evidence of plenty that she will find. Oh, he looked at that chick as she walked by. Oh my goodness. And what I think is so important to emphasize is that trust and commitment aren't something that just magically show up on our doorstep because Mm -hmm. our partner is perfect. There's something that we choose to exercise starting in the creative power of our own minds that says, I have made this vow to this person and I'm going to commit to them and I'm going to choose to trust them. And to acknowledge there will be evidence that's out there that suggests that they are, you know, have a propensity to be human and fail, but I'm going to do that anyways. And that spins the whole equation around and it's not, they have to perform so that they can earn trust, but instead I choose to trust them because of that commitment I made. And that sex before marriage breaks that up as well yep. is that that's, thought work. Yeah.
0: And one of the words I use for that is when you see someone that's attractive, it needs to be humorous that you would ever do anything about it. It needs to be laughable that you could see that you know you saw, you know your biology did what it's supposed to do, which means things work, which is good. But your commitment is so strong that you look at that and just laugh. You're like, yeah, right, whatever, and you move on. Versus the, I'm going to take her away for later, right? Creepy, 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 and that's what a lot of men and women do, and that's on women do it just as much. Women are ways. Yeah, well, even the women that it's more sexual the way that we've raised these young women that are boys, basically like almost masculinized women, just like we're trying to feminize men. It's, Mm -hmm. it's sad to see this. We want to blur all that versus there's a distinct beauty in masculinity and femininity, but there's so many variations of both as well. And so that's where I'm, I'm a very emotional person. I'm male through and through male, but I'm not, the sports person or the you know that even intellectual my wife's the intellectual and she's the brainiac kind of person even though i'm a professor and counselor and, but i'm the emotional but we've we've categorized these all as masculine or feminine culturally which to me makes sense why we have some of our gender questions but they've gone off right. the rails
1: No, I think the subject of men and emotions is such a powerful subject right now. Like if I were to choose one thing right after that men struggle with, it's both the knowledge that men can have feelings, but then even at a deeper level, the understanding of how to have a feeling other than anger Anger. and lust. (laughs) Anger and lust, (laughs) Anger and lust are the checkboxed emotions for men in our culture, right? If I'm a guy, a manly man, he can yell with the best of them and his eyes never leave the ladies. Yeah. But the reality is there's a whole host of emotions out there, things like fear, things like a sense of inadequacy, things of even just peace and learning as a man to, to, to process these. And so this was actually, you're, you're blessed in many ways that you have that, but I did not grow up with that at all. Mm-hmm. And in my own journey, I, I had this abusive father who role modeled anger and force are what a man should do. And I then, as we oftentimes do, lived that out once I became a man, I so I thought, and then had to really have a reckoning as God reached into my life in a very powerful way and said, what you doing there, Michael? I'm like, I'm being a man. Don't you know? Here's the memo. Here's the spreadsheet with the check checkboxes. Yep. <laughs> and he's like, how's that working out for you there, Michael? And I'm like, oh, let's not talk about that, God. Let's talk about a different subject. Yep. And learning for me to allow myself, like if my wife, say, makes a scow- scowly face could be mm-hmm. anything, but let's say I say something and she's like scowly face. Yeah, it's my natural internal feeling goes something like this: Oh no, she's mad at me. Hide, hide, Barry, Barry can't feel yep. that. Yep. What happens next? Nothing good. Right. When I, as a man, dodge that feeling, I do something later. On. I'm like, oh, I really should have done that. Right. But when I allow myself to feel that emotion, to say, oh, I'm feeling rejection right now. Mm-hmm. This is what rejection feels like, and you know what? I'm strong enough that I can feel rejection, and it won't crush me. Yeah. Ten years ago, I could never have done that. Like it was that that even that thought, even saying it out loud, feels so overwhelming. Yeah, to ten years ago, Michael.
0: Mm-hmm. And you have but six so powerful kids now.
1: Yeah, right. I call uh, three girls, my and three boys.
0: Three girls and three yeah. boys. That's neat. Yep. Yeah, I've got three kids: two boys and a girl, but I call them my experiments because they're all so different
1: they are isn't it amazing how god's grace works in that way like each one is a rat like how did you all come from the two of us like each of you is totally different
0: (laughs) it's so neat yeah and he's mentioned anger it's funny how for so many men they use that basically it's like they have that one word for all these emotions yep because they just don't care and it's like i need you to care your wife needs you to care and as you start caring you go, oh wow that emotion wasn't anger. It was this. And they start adding words and they realize, wow, that word inadequacy. Oh, how big that one actually is. And fear. Oh, men aren't supposed to show fear. Oh crap. I'm so afraid right now that my my wife's mad at me or that my, something at my job, or I get exposed. That's the, again, one of the biggest fears for men. And you work with that. I love what you're doing and the way that you think um, through this with men. That's neat.
1: One of the things that I love about the approach I use is we'll oftentimes break out the feeling and the thoughts separately.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: it's very common for men that the thought will be something like, I don't want to be discovered. How do you feel? I feel angry about that. And I'm like, well, wait a second here. Let's <laughs> dig a little bit under that because that's yeah. probably the surface feeling, but especially for men, but also for women. Anger can oftentimes be this feeling that we use to mask or to hide yeah. the more sensitive feeling underneath. And I break out the difference. And I, I stole this directly from a nonviolent communication a phenomenal book. And he talks about soft feelings versus hard feelings. I'm feeling hurt mm-hmm. as a soft feeling versus I'm feeling attacked because yeah. attacked implies the other person is on the war path. Right. Yeah. And as men, it's so common that we have this soft feeling. And for the microsecond we look at that feeling like, no way, dude, a real man can't have that feeling. Let's cover that up with some good old anger. Or sometimes it'll be that feeling, shame about having that feeling, anger about being so ashamed. And like you build this like feeling sandwich Mm -hmm. and the ability to force the guy to slow down and say, hmm, I'm not sure anger is the first response you're having. Let's slow it down. And then you yep, oh, you open it up, you cover it up there. And I've watched grown men, big, muscly, manly men, like which way to the gym? break down balling as they finally are forced to confront that part of themselves that feels hurt and is scared like a little boy. And they're still scared because of something that happened all the way back in their childhood, that still is playing itself out again today. Mm-hmm. Very, very powerful technique of going in and finding those feelings. Yeah.
0: And speaking of the like childhood, I was at a doing a men's conference a few years ago and our men's retreat and um, we do the ACE score. So the ACE adverse childhood experiences, the 10 questions, And then they did the Resilient Score, which is the second half of that, which is really powerful of what what people in my life believed in me back then when I didn't have the support. This guy walks up to me in his 70s afterwards in tears at this thing, just like, I'm a 10 out of 10. I don't even know how I made it to this. I have ruined everything in my life, my whole adult life. And then he started almost laughing. He was like, but I feel like I have a second chance because my kid's in jail, but I get to raise my grandson. And so I feel like I get a chance to actually redeem myself. And it was just this beautiful moment where he saw the truth of the devastation of his life and of the, of the why of his childhood, but the chance to go, but it's never too late.
1: Yeah. By the grace of God. Mm-hmm. One of the things I commonly do in my work is to give people homework. And a very common mm-hmm. set of homework is we'll uncover a lie that someone has believed about themselves. A common one is no one could ever love me. I'm unlovable. Yes. And I'll say, what does God love you? Oh, of course, Michael, God loves me. It says so in the Bible. I'm like, oh, really? Then let's reconcile these two things. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to do that. I I know, I know up here, God loves me. And I know down here in my chest that I am unlovable. It's okay, cool. Here's the deal. I'm going to let you take that up with him then. And I'm going to let you in prayer and solitude, you get to go tell God why he's wrong, that he can't love you. Yep. And. It's so well, like, powerful, like almost all exception. They'll come back to me later on and be like, you'll never believe what God told me yeah. Let's <laughs> hear it. He'll be like, I, I still don't know if I believe in myself. And whatever it is, the message that God sends is always something that's, you know, comes at it from a different angle. Mm-hmm. But that ability to use the power of the faith, pull in and challenge the lies of the world is, is it's just such a blessing to be there for that, to participate yep. in that, exactly as you're describing. Yeah,
0: that truth, those truth and lies. I feel like a lot of times, even in Christendom, what we've done is we've taught Christians to lie to themselves. Yes, lie to themselves that they're they're fine when they're not. Lie to themselves that they're they're strong and competent when they're not. They need help. They need a savior. They need um, actually to surrender. And when they start telling the truth, the truth is I was harmed. The truth is that was that hurt me. The truth is I don't feel adequate. When I start telling the truth is literally am i going to partner with satan and lies or partner with christ and the truth and when we partner with satan and lies no kidding what we get devastation but
1: but satan is very clever at this like he 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 offers a very seductive apple and i think for a lot of men the apple that i see most commonly is this apple of control and And i I love the word control because i so often i'll dig down and dig and dig and dig and something but then i wouldn't be in control I'll say, oh, really? <laughs> You're in control right now, are you? And nice. this, here's my theory. I'm going to bounce this off you in real time. In the garden, here's Adam and Eve, right? And mm-hmm. and Augustine writes that prior to the fall, they had complete alignment of their will with God's will. They had complete control over their bodies. Devil comes in, apple or whatever fruit it was gets eaten. That alignment is broken. Here's my theory. Human beings, ever since we've been expelled from the garden, have been on a quest to find that control that we had over ourselves in the garden. But when we can't find it because of sin, our next step is to try to control the other person. If I can't control me, at least I can control you and make you do the things that are supposed to make me happy. Bingo. And I I think it's such a powerful image because now what I say is great. You can't control the other person. And in fact, you can't even control yourself yet. Yeah, but. With healing, with work, you can get more control over yourself. Well, I
0: would say the control that we're actually looking for is surrender. Yes. It's counterintuitive. That, totally. And so that, that when we surrender, we get more of. Yes. And so what's, it's, 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 again, the, we raise a man to think that that's about control and men and women are, are in the same boat here, but it's like that control, like eating disorders with women, it's about control. It's not about food. Right, And oftentimes they are the most disciplined individuals, incredibly disciplined, like embarrassing to us how poorly disciplined we are and how disciplined they are. It's not about it. It's controlled due to harm. And so how do, how do I rise above? I surrender. I give up the fight. And a lot of this is counterintuitive. So, yeah, I, I love that imagery. And I think back in the garden, too, if you think of where work falls into that, right? we put work after the fall. It's like, no, before the fall, work was part of Adam's life in the garden, tending to the garden in perfect communion with God. And he still was empty. He was still missing something. So God made Eve. And then Adam and Eve, he still worked. But the I saw a statistic that said 70% of Americans hate their job. Yep, We've turned work into something to hate. And it's like, no, you're meant to actually dig into what you do whatever it is like i love uh the Mike Rowe and his dirty Jobs show because one of the things he does he shows these people that are, not all of them but a lot of them love what they do and most of us would never do those jobs work's right. not meant to be then in the fall there's a curse on it's going to be hard you're going to mm-hmm. have to toil the land it's going to be a difficult struggle but our relationship with work we're so about control um, I think that's a really key word. And comfort. I
1: yeah, think that a lot comfort, of work comes in yeah. comfort. <laughs> you know, when my wife and I, so I worked for a corporate research for 10 years. And then uh-huh. when we left, it was, it was a rough transition. So like I was making good money. I was in six figures, had all the benefits packages, you know, premium Cadillac level insurance policies. Yep. And we're like, we're working the math out on this. Right. Cause you know, I'm kind of an engineering type mindset. I'm yep. like, do you realize effectively what it's going to actually cost us to replace my income? And we're looking at this and, and it's a longer story, but both my wife and I felt strongly called by God to leave that and go entrepreneurial. Like it was not subtle. I sometimes joke around that God understands what he made here with Michael and he uses the two by four to the head as his primary communication tool (laughs) because that's what it takes to get through to Michael. Yes. But as we're doing this, this sense of loss of safety, even this loss of comfort realizing that, Oh, we can't spend money on this and this and this and Mm -hmm. this, and that's really intimidating. And so I think a lot of us, well, even if we have a sense of what God calls us to, we're too afraid to go there because of what it will cost us. Right.
0: And that's, that scares me for my, my students when I look at where they could go and what they can do and the passions and the giftings they have. It's like, how many of them will actually get a job and stay there because it has some benefits? So they're 10 years right. later still at Starbucks because they offer benefits. And I'm like, that's not what you went to school for or are called to. And I know that God's called you to something. We've talked about it, and you're still there. And then others who've done that, who've taken that risk, who've actually sacrificed, who live on a ministry salary even, right. but sometimes even scarier, none, no salary. Because like you said, the it's not just the salary, it's the benefits. And so when you add all the all of what was there, making that up is a very difficult
1: feat. I think it actually is also an enhancement of faith opportunity mm-hmm. is what I like to talk. It I remember many, many months, more than I care to even think about where <laughs> we'd start the month and we mm-hmm. have our little sales spreadsheet with our budget. And that would call for X amount of dollars. And we did not have X amount of dollars in our bank. And we did not see how X dollars were going to end up in the bank. And my wife and I together would pray, Lord, I don't know how we're gonna pay for this month. We surrender all of it to you. May your will be done. And without exception, he delivered consistently what we needed. Because is nice. there are needed. Yes, Not was what we wanted. Yeah, you couldn't go just splurge. Doubt. Right, exactly. Yeah. But that consistent abandonment of self to say, not my will, but thy will be done. And watching as he comes through and like a father cares for it. Like he, he wasn't, you know, just dumping gobs of cash on us by right. no means that. Right. But he gave us what we needed. And you do that enough times. And my faith now is so much more than it was, when it was in the corporate world. Right. Right. Uh, we, we trick ourselves when we have these big cushy jobs. We're like, yes. yep, I'm secure, I'm in charge, I'm able to handle it all. And I'm like, oh really? So when the next stock readjustment comes through, how's that gonna work out for you?
0: Yeah, I know and Like, another one of our friends just moved and they had a great job paying very well and they're in a different state now, but they just got fired because they wouldn't get the vaccine and they're yep. not even in the in Oregon anymore. And it's like, wow, they didn't see that coming. But what's cool is I know them and they're actually also very wise with their, their money. And so they're going to be just fine. But it's one of those, a lot of us are very immature with our money. So yes, um, that's a problem there. And, and I would say money, actually money and sex both reveal. They're very revealing of our selfishness, our, our how scared we can get, how needy we can get, or how self-centered and, you know, accumulating and, you know, that kind of stuff, the way that we, live, which is scary. So question I have you left the corporate world. How many kids did you have at the time?
1: So when we we left, we were we had three kids and we're pregnant with our fourth. And What's so interesting, this is how God works. I have to share this little bit of a story. We have what I call Irish triplets, which isn't a word, mm. by the way, because after having Irish twins, no one's ever crazy enough to do it again. Um, <laughs> yeah. But there's a long story while we're there. And that was yet again, another spot where God said, this is what's best for you, Michael. <laughs> so I leave this job, right? And shortly after I leave the job, my wife gets put on bed rest. She has this condition where, and it gets worse with each of these next three boys, oh, God. where her body produced too much, of that hormone that makes their joints get really weak and produced it way too early. Mm-hmm. And so like her joints started like falling apart. And so oh. she just has to stay in bed, can barely walk to the bathroom screaming in agony for months. Oh. And so all of a sudden now we have brand new business. Michael's trying to run the business by himself and take care of all the children by himself. Cause my wife, like she's, she's heroically trying to do what she can from bed, but like there's, oh. the men, right. With yeah. little kids. Oh yeah. And by the grace of God, we made it through, but I look back, if I had still been working in a corporate job, I don't know what we would have done. Like, there's no way in my way could take care of those kids because I was home. You were home, And, oh, the, I love and the first phase oh, was I, love that. I could do everything I needed before the kids wake up And still, like yep. it was a rough time. Michael had to grow a lot of maturity and give up a lot of stuff, <laughs> yes. but I would get up at four in the morning, do all the business stuff by eight, then take care of the kids through the day. When the naps came up, I got to do some more business stuff then. Yep. And then evening came up and it was, it was bumpy. And then you had
0: a fourth it. kid and then fifth kid and then sixth kid. Six kid all, all on a cadence. Oh each one popped out a year later. Oh goodness gracious. And those are the boys you said?
1: Yep. We had oh. three girls first and we had three boys.
0: Oh, how amazing. I love it. <laughs> That's neat. And so to think of that season of struggling financially, and then those children and your wife's health on top of that. The word you said earlier, we don't want our faith challenged. Right. That's what scares me for so many of us and myself included at times. It's like, I want the cushy or I want the, to be okay. One of my beliefs personally has been, yeah, the comfort. My belief has been, if my life is comfortable, I'm not doing enough to mess with Satan. <laughs> and I know that That's can a, get a little a, too crazy, like but I'm like, you know what? If I'm, cause I have a lot of health issues. Right. Uh, I have Crohn's and I have flare ups and I have all sorts of autoimmune stuff. And it's like, if I am not having a problem, I feel like I am not being a threat to Satan and he's not messing with me because he knows he can get me there because he's, he's put me in bed for even up to a year or over a year. And okay. so it's like I, I feel like because of my calling to do what I do and I'm going into that charge and getting assaulted back because of what I do, um, talking about gender and sexuality from a biblical worldview is getting less and less popular. I believe um, especially in Oregon. Yeah. And so that's, there's pushback. There's push pushes to um, for me to lose my job, for me to, you know, to be banned, for our church to be banned. It's sad. It's scary. Um, but I feel like the more that that happens, the more I have to do what I do. Yes. And the thing is, is I can look around and go, how many people just punch a clock at work, do their job. They go home. They sit at the, on the couch and they go do it again the next day. But then their kids are watching and going, why would I want that? Right. And how much that we, what we do as parents shapes our kids and how they view marriage, how they view God, how they view work, all of these things. And I want my kids to see hard work, but I want them to see trust in God. I want to see the, them to see a struggle question,
1: not be Because they're perfect. going to struggle exactly like, i think the one thing we can do for our kids is let them grow up thinking that if you believe in god everything's easy street
0: yeah and i think a lot of our culture has done that some of our the, yeah. the the generation before us and kind of right there is there's a lot of that where there's been a um a teaching of that or not even intentional that's the fallout has been wow i can't be perfect like my parents so forget that faith forget all that stuff right And to see, I can honestly struggle, I can wrestle, I can even question God. (gasps) Yikes. Oh, he can handle it. So do it more, lean into it more. Uh, Now, what I think it's turned into right now in our culture is a deconstruction of faith, which to me, that one scares me. Um, I'm not really sure sometimes what to do with that, but...
1: I think so often I go back to the origins of Christianity. I look at the apostles, and so many scenes. the Apostles get flogged, they get thrown in jail, they get whatever horrible thing happens, and they rejoice for it. And I'm like, "Whoa! (laughs) Would I do that? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like I'm not good at rejoicing at being flogged right now. Like that's that's not my Michael's skill set number one. And I look at like this like the situation described with the kids and and all that. In some ways, that was a way that tested my faith. And gave me an opportunity to grow. And the the danger for me was I get done with that. And I'm like, I have mastered faith, check box. And God's like, exactly, exactly. It's all about me. I have yeah. done this thing. I'll praise the greatness of Michael. Yeah. And God's up there like, okay, next test is coming, buddy.
0: Yep, and, <laughs> You said it well. <laughs> so true.
1: Yeah. And just that ability to go back and look at what it is, the origins the apostles had that allow them to celebrate that and how infectious that is. Yes. Like I have yet to have a situation where I stand up and 5,000 people convert, you know, from the, my words, <laughs> but I'm also not yet willing to suffer, to rejoice for the
0: lashing. So there might be a connection there. Yep. And that's what I, as a T, as a professor, I want my students' lives transformed. I want them called up to a greater calling that doesn't happen with everybody. Yeah. And it's been, I've been doing this teaching for 17 years and it's a neat to see, I love Facebook where I can see where students end up and what they're doing, but it's also sad to see where some are not, some are actually a mess. Some are still pursuing themselves and their own happiness and they're kind of all over the map, but it's been neat to see how many are solid in ministry, how many struggled in their marriage at first and overcame yeah. and stayed committed. And I've got so two tells hmm?
1: I know of nobody who hasn't struggled in their marriage at some point. So like, right. that's like, that's hundred percent, but yes. Yeah.
0: I've got two that have lost children along the way. Oh, that's rough. I've got three that I know that have had brain tumors um, and other cancers. And it's like, it's neat to see. That's one of the neat things of social media where you can see people and it can be an inspiration of just my faithfulness affects them. And it's neat to see that and that we're meant to be. That's, that's where, when we talked earlier about marriage, marriage is not going to be in heaven. And so that's a hard thing for like mind to wrap around. You mean my wife and I are not going to be, I don't like that, but what is the second part of that is, but the body of Christ will be the two vehicles that God transforms is through marriage and through the church, the body of Christ. So it's like, how, how can I invest in the body of Christ? And how can I be an influence to others? Because we're all going to be together in heaven. And so it's like how to see that not marriage is important. Or if we're not careful. We've put that on the pedestal. And that's what we're seeing right now with over 50% of people have left the church.
1: Um, I think one of the things that people don't get enough of is the challenge posed by Christianity. Mm-hmm. Christendom from the beginning was a complete and total challenge. It was an overheaval of the entire worldview and the essence that the human person craves a challenge, craves an opportunity for deeper responsibility. I go back to uh, Pope uh, John Paul II and his primary message to young people is you were made for greatness. There's greatness possible within you. And the world's message is mediocrity and comfort are are fine. Just go with those. But something in our heart longs for the challenge that says, no way, man, there is so much more. And here's how you go about it. It's going to be rough and you're going to take some blows and you're going to fall flat in your face more than once. But that challenge to define yourself, to struggle through, it's so much more worth it. And that's, that's one thing I think why we losing people in the church so fast and all, all the different faiths is we've watered it down, you know, every, whatever church, I'm not trying to be in something, but when people say love Jesus and everything's gonna be great. I'm like, that's uh, not from the Bible. That's not what not. the Bible says. It's right. The Bible says, love Jesus and you're gonna suffer for it, but it was to be worth it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Pope John Paul II, he was Pope when I was a kid and I remember him because um, i grew up in chile south america so i remember when he came to my city and it was a big hoopla and all this but from his teaching the thing that i have used for years was the theology of the body yep um christopher west had has kind of compiled that really done an that. incredible job with that um and until recent um what's your name oh, i forgot her name Oh, I lost her name. Anyway, um, that was the only theology I've ever seen written so well about sexuality and gender and who you're, we how we're made, and um, just a beauty there. And then oh, Nancy Piercy, and then Nancy mm-hmm. Piercy wrote the "Love Thy Body," um, was the f- kind of first other good writing on that. And we need more of that. We need people, even people listening to this, that will step up and study and write and do their skills there, just like we need people to get into life coaching or counseling or even ministry, even though these are all ministry, but to use your gifts in that area, just like we need those listening to, to realize, you know what? I need to fix my marriage. I need to fix myself. But the biggest part of fixing myself using those words is to surrender. I've got to admit I need help and I've got to admit that um, I can't do this alone. And I believe God on purpose made it so that we needed one another to heal, to grow. Cause it's humbling to be used for you to be able to help someone is very humbling. Oh, to totally. To so that's, that's neat. And we need that as well. Like I need men in my life that are actually helping me become the better man and the better husband and better dad. And so others need to be able to see this is not a, actually a sign of weakness at all thinking you've got it all together is probably the weakest place you can be but being able I, to reach
1: out a few years ago, I ripped my ACL and I was told, which is Ooh. not a fun one to do. Ooh. And I was told you got two options, Michael, you can just kind of live with it, And eventually you'll learn how to move around without an ACL, or you can go to a doctor, go through some incredibly painful. Well, the surgery is not painful, but the recovery is very, very right. painful from an ACL surgery. And with immense amount of work, you'll eventually gain back and, and function likely better than if you do nothing. And I thought about it for a little while. And what's so interesting is I feel like there's a, a, like a metaphor there for the calling. Yeah, we can all drift and just drift into mediocrity, but it's not denying the goodness of God for me to go to another doctor, for me to humble myself and say, this other expert is gonna do this work in my body. It doesn't mean that God couldn't heal it supernaturally. Of course he could, Mm -hmm. but God designed that part of the plan is for me to humble myself, to allow this skilled surgeon to work upon my knee, to allow a skilled German physical therapist who delighted in making him my recovery as painful as possible. (laughs) Excellent physical therapist. (laughs) But like I would, he'd walk in, how, how are we doing? I'm starting to feel better. I will fix that. (laughs) He's like "Ah!" like, Excellent. i will be back to do it again. Excellent. Excellent expert. But this participation, I think that he allows it is the same in every aspect of life, Mm -hmm. whether it's you, you know, needing to have fellowship with men that you respect to say, Hey, Hey, Corey, you know, I know that I love you as a Christian brother, but I'm watching this behavior and mm-hmm. you know, I'm not quite sure where this is coming from the courage to call us out in charity and say, Hey, Hey, Michael, I see that you're drifting this way. You know, what's kind of what's going on. Do we need to talk about that. That dynamic is essential to the body of Christ, whether it comes in therapy, like same as my knee surgery, my doctor and physical therapy afterwards, you know, maybe that's a closer analogy here to coaching, whatever it is like to humble and submit ourselves to say, I need help. And that God has provided help via this other human being is part of the human experience.
0: Yep. Very well said. Love it. So, so important. And you have, that's what this is what you do. So you, you've got um, your own podcast. You have
1: your coaching. What else do you have? What else do you offer men so, and others? Uh, at this moment, that's pretty much about it. By the grace of God, uh, he has provided for us to do this. And I tell people I have the best job in the world. I get to help men transform for some of the stuff that they've been stuck with for mm-hmm. decades and so i have a podcast i offer two different ways of doing group coaching so two different ways of have been coaching either there's a group setting mm-hmm. i say that sometimes for people who want to do more work on their own and then there's an intensive one-on-one setting and my wife actually has exactly the same list of things nice what's the masters so masters is the group coaching program okay. and so the gotcha. idea behind that and this is something that, that I think a lot of guys are really hesitant to even consider at first because they're like, I don't want to talk about my stuff in front of other guys. But here's what happens. like, If you join Masters today and you start watching some of the recorded calls, you can hear the following thing. Michael, I don't know if I want to share this. Here's all my problems. And the end of which is like, I can't believe I said this in front of everyone else. Like guys, unmute and tell them what, what you're thinking right now. And they'll unmute and be like, I just can't believe you said that. That so affects me. Like that's transforming my life. Just hearing you share about that. Yep. I thought I was the only one. Yep. And that phrase I hear so often. I thought it was just me. I thought only I struggled with this. I thought only I was afraid of that. Yeah. And that community component is so powerful for guys. I oh, love that so much. Love that so much. Yeah. What's the name of your podcast? Uh, Catholic life coach for men. And so okay. I, I kind of just dive right in, call it as it is. Okay. I'm not ashamed of my faith. I am a Catholic. I, I have both Protestant and Catholic clients. I have, I have no discrimination. If you're a person of the faith, like I'm, happy to work with you. And I only work with men. My wife works with women and it's not that I don't love ladies. They're lovely people, but I think it's, it's a simpler connection for a man to talk to a man and for a woman to talk to a woman.
0: Yeah. And it's funny because I actually almost only work with women because I deal with trauma and abuse and sexual abuse and all that kind of stuff. So it's neat to see the, the differences there, but I love your, your name, like your website, Catholic life coach for men. It's like, this is what I do <laughs> very yeah. niche. And that's so important. They, they don't have any questions. Um, that's I love that very much. They will have all the links to stuff in the show notes too, for, for, for those listening to reach out as well. Yeah. And they can book an appointment right here on your website. And yeah, there it is. Book A appointment, free, talk to me. Yep. See if talk I can help, see if
1: I can help you out somehow.
0: I love that so much. Great. Were well, any last words to, give those listening and
1: i think so many up. guys right now are mm-hmm. stuck in a spirit of hopelessness the the world right now makes it seem like our problems are overwhelming mm-hmm. like i've had this for decades this is who i am i can't change this you don't understand i've tried so hard it doesn't change and this hopelessness is purely demonic and it inspires giving up and it leads us to just feel crushed And it's when we're in that state, even the act of reaching out a little bit feels like such a big risk. And I want to speak to you that if you feel that way, if you feel trapped, like you can't possibly change two things. Number one, you're not alone. Mm -hmm. There are many others like you. Number two, God has a plan for your life that is more than that. Mm -hmm. And just trust in God to take that step and try something. It may not be me, but try something, keep trying Till you find what the help you need is to live the life God called you to do.
0: Yeah. Love that so much. And you're right. It may not be you, it may not be me. It's starting with a book or starting with a course, but you will find that it's different than a book or a course to get into a group of men or get into a, a person that you say, I trust you, that it will change the way you actually change your life. Find, connect with totally to someone true. that actually you say, I can work with this person. So I tell clients all the time of, you know, if you and I don't click, please don't say you tried, go find someone you work can work with.
1: Right. That's so critical right there. Yeah. And different people do connect better with other people. Yeah. And that's, that's not a slight, if you, if you have a call with me, you're like, Michael, I love what you do, but I don't think you're right for me. Totally. I have complete faith Bless that you. God placed in your heart. Yeah. Bless you. Please keep looking, find the yeah. right person. Yeah, Cause don't I believe that person's out there.
0: Yeah. But think of the key there that person as in it's not go it alone
1: <laughs> right
0: it becomes not meant, that. To. not meant to at the all bible
1: is so clear that we're not meant to go it alone god did design us for that capacity like if you're a like a, a grizzly bear living in the woods you're designed to go it alone yep but the human being is so much more complex than that yeah.
0: love that well it's been so great talking to you and looking forward to even connecting, staying connected and seeing what Absolutely. god does in your ministry and um if it, those that are interested reach out definitely it's uh Catholic um, perfect. and bless you and your family, your beautiful family and um, look forward to talking in the future
1: Lord bless you as well, you'll be in my prayers
0: thank you for tuning in to the Family Features Podcast it has been an honor to serve find out more about Dr. Gilbert and his resources for you and your family's growth and success at healinglives.com and if you think you could use some support along the way be sure to book that call at bookdrg.com And one more thing, if you found this helpful, please share this podcast with others so that we can change the world together.